Greetings from the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness of this world and life. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make every good path straight. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. In this broadcast, we shall be looking at the practicality of repentance from dead works. But before we get into this, let us have a recap of what we have done so far on the theme, repentance from dead works. We have noted that dead works are acts, activities, things that we do that do not have the life or presence of God. There are things, activities, acts that we engage in that are not initiated by God, that are not inspired by God, that are not implemented by God, that are not authorized by God. They are things done in the flesh and lead to eternal death. Sadly, Christians do engage in dead works. Hence, the subject repentance from dead works. Ordinarily, if something is not inspired by God, not initiated by God, not implemented, not authorized, not approved by God, that God is not present in, one would not expect a Christian to be involved in it or to be engaged in it. However, we have seen sin that Christians are engaged in these things. And so it is important that we talk to ourselves about repenting from such acts. It is the very first thing that everyone who is born again must be made to be aware of. That it is possible to be born again and yet engage in dead works. And so in discussing the, the fundamentals of the Christian faith, it is the first thing that must be drummed into the believer that it is possible, if care is not taken, to engage in dead works. We've seen several examples over time. We saw David who wanted to build a temple for God, a laudable thing, but God did not ask him to do it. And if he had gone ahead to do it, it would have amounted to dead works. It's important to understand that the fact that we are Christians does not immunize us from engaging in dead works. And then we saw the example of Ananias and Sapphira. These were people who wanted to give money to the work of God. Unfortunately, they lied in the process. And then we saw the example also of the church in Ephesus. This was the church that had been doing great things. However, the one major thing that they needed, which was their love for God, was out of it. And because they acted not out of love for God, it meant that everything they did did not pass the mark. So if we pick from our discussions on repentance from dead works, we can then say that repentance from dead works is a turning away from engaging in acts, activities, and things that God is not present in, that God has not authorized, that God did not initiate, that God did not inspire, that God did not implement, that God has not approved of, and a turning to engaging in acts, activities, and things that have the approval of God, things that are initiated by God, things that are inspired by God, things that God is involved in its implementation, things that God has approved of. That will be repentance from dead works. But it is one thing to be able to define repentance from dead works. It is a completely different thing to actually repent with the evidence thereof. And so we want to discuss the practicality of repentance from dead works. We want to put it to practice. We don't just want to talk about it. We want to practicalize it. We want to challenge ourselves to see how do we get ourselves to be out of this issue of dead works once and for all. In Luke chapter 3, reading from verse 7 through to verse 14, then he, 
that is John the Baptist, said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? These are people who had come to church. They had come for service. And his opening remark is to call them brood of vipers. Why? Because he saw hypocrites. He saw people who had no sincerity. So he called them brood of vipers. In verse 8 he says, Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from the stones. The stones that were at the bank where he was baptizing people. God, God can raise anybody. So don't think that your pedigree as children of Abraham is guarantee that God will be with you or that God will protect you or that God will do anything for you. The crucial thing is that you are doing works meet for repentance. We are able to see that indeed this fellow has repented. And it's not for us to judge, but God can see and God knows. In verse 9, he goes on and says, And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So the people asked him, saying, What shall we do then? It is not enough to say, I believe. What are you going to do afterwards? When Paul met with the Lord on the road to Damascus, he said, What would you have me to do? There is a doing. A lot of people talk about grace, 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 as though there is no works to be done. We are not saved by works, but after we are saved, we engage in works. And the issue is, are you engaging in dead works or good works? And so the people are asking, what do you want us to do so that we can engage in good works? And that's what we want to look at, the practicality of it. In verse 11, he, that is John, answered and said to them, He who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. Then tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what is appointed for you. Likewise, the soldiers asked him, saying, And what shall we do? So he said to them, Do not intimidate anyone or accuse anyone falsely, and be content with your wages. So he addressed everything. Stop being selfish. Be selfless. Be other people-centered. Give to other people. When you have to, give one to other people. Be kind towards people. Be ready for sacrifices. The tax collectors, stop defrauding people. Stop telling lies. Stop deceiving people. Stop collecting bribes. To the soldiers, be content with your pay. Whatever you are given, be content with it. Don't live above your means. What are you doing with 10 houses? Stealing public funds. And then you sit in the church and say you're a pastor, deacon, or a knight. You're just a common thief by any other name. So we want to answer, what must we do so that we can prove that we are truly repentant? In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 3. And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. So. There was a lifestyle that we lived. It was a lifestyle that was the type that people who engage in dead works live. That's the kind of life that we once lived. In Romans chapter 6, however, the Bible tells us that having changed 
it must be seen the kind of life we should live. Let's read verse 16 of Romans chapter 6. We'll read it up to 18. He says, Do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. When you are born again, you are delivered from an evil and cruel master, Satan walking through sin, to bring death in us. We are delivered from that master. And we are delivered to serve a new master who is righteous and who is loving. Now, whoever you are obeying is your master. That's how we know the master. It's not who you say is your master. But whose bidding you are doing. So if you still act in the flesh, you are doing the bidding of sin. But when you act righteously, you are doing the bidding of Christ. The issue here is, who are you serving? Christ or Satan? That's the issue. And so we once were people who acted out of disobedience. We were never obedient to God. But now, as a result of the gospel entering into our hearts and doing the work of transformation, we are now obedient to Christ. All that Christ asks you to do is right. It is approved of God and they are good works. Whatever it is that the Lord Jesus asks you to do is always right. So we serve Christ and him alone. It is he alone that we listen to. We will listen to what our pastors say, provided they are speaking what he is asking them to say to us. Let's stop getting carried away with all these things called prophecy. And people are speaking and saying all kinds of things. And they are copying one another. Let's avoid those things. They are dead works. You cannot be wanting accolades from men. You are engaging in dead works. In Luke chapter 1, verse 73 to 75, the father of John the Baptist, Zechariah the priest, spoke by the Spirit of God. So this is the Spirit of God speaking. This is the oath which he, that is God, swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. We are saved to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Not to serve ourselves, not to serve a man, but to serve the Lord. We may serve a man in as much as the Lord asks us to serve that man. But it is not our choosing to serve anybody. It is the Lord who says, this is the man you are going to serve. And that's the man you are going to stay with to serve. As unto the Lord. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15, we are told that he died for all. That is, Lord Jesus Christ died for all. That those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. If we are going to repent from dead works, truly repent, turn away from doing those things that God is not involved in and doing the things that God is involved in, then we must recognize that we have a master, a new master. And that master is the Lord Jesus Christ. We take orders from him. We live for him. We do things for him. So we must understand who our master is. Without understanding who our master is, we are going to engage in dead works. A lot of people say they want to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And they serve only as they feel that they will serve. No. If he is your master, if he is your Lord, you don't choose what you want to do. He tells you what to do. And so we must come to that realization. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 21 to 24. Before then, in verse 17, it talks about some of the things that the people who lived in darkness, people who live in the flesh, the people who are not born again, they engage in. In verse 20, it says, we don't live like that because we have not learned that of Christ. 
And we are going to look at that at some point in time. We do what we have learned of Christ. What we have learned of Christ. And what we have learned from him. In verse 21 of Ephesians chapter 4, it says, If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him. You see, the Christian life is a life of Christ. Christianity, it's a Christ-centric life. It's a life centered in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not centered in us. It has nothing to do with who we are. It has everything to do with who Christ is. That is the focus. Again, verse 21. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. There is a change. You were created anew to a life of holiness and righteousness. You must remove the old man. It's like a shirt, a dirty shirt. You must take off the dirty shirt before you put on a clean shirt. You cannot put on a clean shirt over an oil-stained shirt. You are going to damage the clean shirt as well. So before you put on the clean shirt, you must take off the old shirt. Be cleaned, then you can put on a new shirt, a new clean shirt. And that's what is being said here. We must do away with the old nature, the old, that sin-loving man, that sin-loving nature, that nature that desires to do anything that is contrary to God. We may think that we want to serve God, but as long as that nature is there, we cannot serve him. And so it is impossible for someone who has not put off the old man to engage in good works. As long as the old man is there, you can only engage in dead works. So repentance is not something you just say. We must see the signs, the works that follow that act of repentance. In Romans chapter 12 verse 2, the Bible says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. If the renewal of your mind has not taken place, if the old nature has not been flushed out, and the new nature brought in, you will never be able to know, that is to prove experientially, empirically, experimentally, that what you are being asked to do is the will of God. So a lot of people struggle with whether something is the will of God or not. Why? The renewal of the mind has not taken place. The practicality of repentance from dead works is that your mind must be renewed by the word of God. If I take a clear jar and fill it with coffee, if I want that jar, to be clean, there are two ways of doing it. I must pour it out and wash and wash and wash and whatever. On the other hand, I leave that jar under running water. It's just a matter of time. It will clear out the coffee and I'm going to have clear water over time. So what are we saying here? We have been filled with things from school, from society, from our parents, from our village, from our friends, our peers our colleagues, from office, from work, and so on and so forth. So many things. Our nation, party politics, they've been imputed in us. We've carried them all along. That's the old nature. That's the old man. When we now come to Christ, we must submit that old man to be removed. And then, don't forget we mentioned that the old man has laid eggs. The passions and the affections, our desires, our ambitions. Those are the things that the old nature laid. So even though it was crucified, at the time we got born again, its eggs are still there and they are hatching. And so you see somebody who has a desire to do something. He had a desire, maybe for example, to be president of Nigeria. Now he's born again. 
and he wants to pursue that desire. Yet he does not know what the Lord Jesus Christ is saying. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The Bible says here, created anew in holiness and true righteousness. It's a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Those ambitions died. A new vision is given. But first, you must be subject to the purification by the word. What is called the renewing of the mind. The old nature of the mind must be removed. And the new thing by the word of God must come in. If you don't have that, if the word of God is not sitting 100% in you, you can't know the will of God. It doesn't matter what we say. You can't know it. That's why people can go to a church, hear prophecy, and be struggling to implement it. They will hear that they should live right. They can't. Why? The nature in them is still the old man. So the practicality of repentance is that the old man must be done away with and a new man put on. You must put on Christ after the old man has been removed. In John chapter 5, verse 30, the Lord Jesus Christ made a statement which many of us would heed and learn if we are going to do good works. He said, I can of myself do nothing as I hear I judge and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the father who sent me. You see, when you become born again, you no longer have a will of your own. Actually, you do, but you must now submit it to God and say, Lord, take my will. I want your will. What is it that you want me to do? All my ambitions, all my plans, everything, I throw them to God. I don't have any anymore. Lord, what are you saying? Now, for you to do that, you must be in a position to seek to know the will of God. You must be in a position to seek to hear from God. If you are unable to hear from God, you will not know what you are doing to be the will of God. It's not just enough to say, I have the word of God. What is God asking you to do? Did you hear from God? We go to church and we hear somebody prophesy. There are thousands of people there and you say, it's for me, it's for me. How do you know it's for you? Because it sounded okay. Whatever the prophecy came and said, there's somebody here. God says, start preparing your bags. You are coming home. Would you say amen to that? That's how we know that you are just walking in the flesh. In Mark chapter 1, from verse 35 to verse 38, the Bible tells us about how the Lord Jesus Christ woke up early, went to a quiet place where they had to be searching to find him, to pray, to have conversation with the Father, to be able to hear from him. What would you have me do today? By the time they found him, they told him, oh, a lot of people are waiting for you because the night before he had healed many. And so they brought more people. And what did he say to them? He said, we must go to the next villages to preach. For that is why I came. Why? He was able to say that. He had heard from the father, go to the next village. He knew there's no need going back to Peter's home to minister to people. The crowd had gathered. Some of us get excited over a crowd. Look at Philip. Philip had a crowd going in Samaria. And then the Lord plucked him out of Samaria and said, you should go to a, a deserted road. And he said, run after that chariot and join him. And he joined the man. He preached to the man. One man from a crowd went to one man on a deserted road to preach to him. The man got born again. As soon as he got out of the water baptized from baptism, the Spirit of God whisked him away. So all this issue of, I want a crowd, I want this, that is why we find ourselves engaging in dead works. You can preach to a crowd and be engaging in dead works. And you can preach to one person, just one person, and it will be good works. We need to ask ourselves a question. Who are we working for? And who counts? Is it me? Is it my general overseer or my bishop or my senior pastor? Or is it God? If you have not gotten yourself to that place, my brother, my sister, you are serving a man. You have not yet begun to serve Christ. It doesn't mean that you will not serve that general overseer or you will not be under that ministry. You could be, but God must be the one putting you there. 
if you cannot say with every confidence in you that God asked me to stay here, then I would advise you to begin to talk to God now and start hearing from God. So the practicality of repentance from dead works is that I must be hearing from God. I must know who my master is, that is Christ. I must put off the old man and put on the new man. And I must hear from God. Fourthly, according to Acts chapter 10 verse 38, the Bible says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. And he went about doing good. And healing all that were oppressed of the devil. For God was with him. Without the Holy Spirit in our lives, we cannot do good works. If the Holy Spirit is not the one directing you, you will do dead works. The Lord Jesus Christ said to his disciples, Tarry in Jerusalem until he be endued with power from on high. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8 he said, And you shall have power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But the most important thing is that, Tarry ye in Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. In Mark chapter 3, 14 and 15, the Lord Jesus Christ, when he called the twelve to himself, the Bible says that he called them that they might be with him and that he might send them to preach and that he might give them power to cast out demons. But the operational thing is that they might be with him. The Lord Jesus Christ was able to do good works, not just because the Holy Spirit was with him, but because God was with him. When the Holy Spirit anoints you, it means God is with you because the Holy Spirit is the presence of the divine. And so when you are anointed by the Holy Ghost, the Godhead is present with you. He goes with you. He does his work through you. You are like a pair of gloves that the carrier of a heavy load puts on to carry the heavy load. He does the heavy lifting using the gloves. Will it not be silly for the pair of gloves to be jumping up and saying, look at what I lifted? No, it was the lifter that lifted the thing. You were just the pair of gloves that he put on. The Holy Spirit puts us on and does his work. That is why we said dead works is work that you get involved in that God is not involved in the implementation. If God is not the one that implements that work, it is dead works. So it's important that we also understand that we must be full of the Holy Spirit. We must be filled with the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, we will engage in dead works. So when we talk of repentance from dead works, it is not just the saying, but the doing. And for that to happen, these things must be there. You must recognize who your master is. You must put off the old man and put on the new man. You must seek to hear from God at all times. You must have the spirit of God in you and with you. And of course, you have to be listening to him. You can't just have him there and then you're a zombie. No, he wants you to walk with him. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 and 17. I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the loss of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. So that we have two friends, as it were. One is the flesh. The other is the Holy Ghost. One must be discarded. Otherwise, you're going to be schizophrenic, torn by two opinions at all times. Your friend before was the flesh. Your new friend, now that you are born again, is the Holy Spirit. The two of them don't agree. When you had the flesh, he was not interested in the Holy Spirit. Now that you have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is not interested in the flesh. One must go. If you don't want to do dead works, if you say you have repented from dead works, then the flesh must go. You cannot have two of them as friends because they are going to say things that are contrary. So you must choose who you have as a friend. In verse 24 and 25 of the same Galatians chapter 5, the Bible says, And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. I've mentioned this before. The flesh has laid eggs. The eggs are the passions and the desires. 
they must also be crucified, they must also be killed. That ambition that you have to be present must kill it. You have to play it on the altar and crucify it. That desire that you have to be the multi-billionaire of your generation, you must kill it. It is only God's desire that come. for those who say they want to do good works. In verse 25 it says, if we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Let us follow the dictates of the spirit of God. Walking in the spirit is to be led by the spirit of God, is to walk the way the spirit of God wants us to walk, to follow his dictates. We must always remember one thing. When God speaks, he is not giving a suggestion and expecting your input. No, he is giving you an instruction, a command. Oh, God can ask you some questions. But those questions are what we call leading questions. One, to know the state of your heart. Two, to get you to a place where he will tell you something that is very crucial and very critical. If we are going to truly be repentant from dead works, that is, we turn away and no longer do dead works, the Holy Spirit must not just be in us and with us. He must be our friend. He must be your friend. You must have intimacy with him. You must know him as much as he knows you and as much as it's practical. For that to ever happen, you must be ready to crucify the flesh, its passions and its desires. So all those ambitions that you had, you must be ready to put weight to them. If you are not ready to do that, you are going to continue to do dead works. Even if you rise to become a general overseer, you will do only what you want to do. You will do what will make people to hail you. You will do what will make you to be known. And those are the messages that we're hearing today. They are messages leading people to dead works. And what God is interested in is that we do good works. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 to 2. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us or entraps us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God there is a race that is set before you to run each one has a race and the Bible talks about a cloud of witnesses people who have run their races have ended and now they are in the stands watching you how you are going to run. You have the word of God to show you how they run. More importantly, it says looking unto Jesus. He ran his own race. There was a time they wanted to make him king. He escaped. He refused it. He wasn't going to be made king by men. He knew who he was or who he is. He knew that he came from the father and has returned to the father to sit at the right hand of power where Satan will be under his feet. He knew that. But for now, for the time when he was on the earth, he was willing to be subject to the most brutal and cruel death on the cross. Why? Because of you and I. He paid that price. The Bible says, let us look unto him. If you are going to be truly repentant of dead works in practical terms, therefore, you must be ready to do everything that the Lord Jesus Christ did. I'm going to read 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 to 23, as quickly as I can. And learn how Christ lived. Because what I see today, of those of us who say we're Christians, is that we live as we like, and then look for how to justify our wrong actions. From verse 13. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. That's what the Bible says. For the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme, or to governors, as to those who are sent by him, for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. Bible says that we should obey civil authority. 
in verse 15. He says, for this is the will of God that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Foolish men are speaking now. Why? We are not obeying civil authority. We are acting as though we are a law unto ourselves, which by itself is lawlessness. Contrary to Christianity. Christianity is about being lawful, law-abiding. In verse 16, it says, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bond servants of God. In verse 17, it says, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Honor the king. It's sad. As I go through social media and see Christians, Christians insulting the president, insulting their governors, insulting their leaders. You can criticize without being insulting. That's what I can't understand. You didn't learn that from Christ. He didn't even insult anybody. And you're going to see it when we go down. We quote these things. But when it comes to the practicality of it, we fall flat. Even for those of us who are pastors, in Hebrews chapter 13, the Bible says that people who congregate around us should make us to be happy to do our work. Should we not want to make our leaders happy to do their jobs? Why must we criticize them every time? In verse 18, servants, employees, houseboys, drivers, even if you are an MD, but you are employed to be an MD, you are a servant. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. Even if it's horrible, the Bible says submit. In verse 19, it says, for this is commendable if because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it? If when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, that is commendable before God. You stole money, they beat you. You say you took it patiently. What patiently are you taking it? You stole. You have been punished. But if you have been punished wrongfully and you take it patiently, now that is commendable. You don't see where the Bible says we should fight. It's not there. The Bible tells us to be quiet. And you're going to see how Christ behaved. In verse 20, it says, For what credit is it when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable for God. For to this you were called. Understand this. Salvation calls you to this, to suffer, even for wrong. When some people were taking people to God, he said, why don't you suffer patiently? For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Follow the steps of Christ. Peter wrote this thing. Peter followed Christ and he wrote it in the spirit. Verse 22. Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. When the Lord Jesus was reviled, he did not revile. He didn't talk back. The Bible says like a lamb to the slaughter. He kept quiet. That's what is expected of us. Our fighting back is too much. Calm down. Follow Christ. He's our example. If you don't follow Christ as your example, you are going to forever engage in dead works. It is Christ that will follow. We have him as an example. What did he do? Follow him. Don't do what you want to do. Finally, in Hebrews chapter 5 verse 8, the Bible says concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered, by things which he went through. He lived like a normal human being. The king, the one who made the universe, the one who made man, came to the earth to live like man and made himself subject to men. He learned to be obedient 
when he was in the temple at the age of 12, his surrogate parents came and said, what are you doing? He said, I, should I not be about my father's business? And they said, come on, come on with us. The Bible says he, he left and went and was subject to them in the house. Many of us will be fighting. No, don't you know? I'm a child of God. I'm this, I'm that. How is God blessed by that? Like Christ, our master and our example, we must be obedient in all things. Not when we feel like or when it feels okay. We must be obedient in all things. In this first Peter chapter 1, verse 2 tells us, it says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God in sanctification of the spirit for obedience. For obedience. Sanctification makes us to be able to obey. We couldn't be obedient apart from sanctification. In conclusion, when we talk of repentance from dead works, to be able to repent in practical terms, we must be sanctified. Without sanctification, which is a process of purging the old nature, preparing the new man, and then perfecting that new man onto every good work, we will continue to engage in dead works. The work of sanctification, which is the second work of grace, is what brings us to the place where we recognize who our master is, that is the Lord Jesus Christ. That we changed from one master to the master. That we must put off the old man and put on the new man. That we must seek to hear from God and not just take decisions on our own. Sanctification brings us to the place where we recognize that without the Holy Spirit, we can do absolutely nothing. If God is not with you, everything you are doing is dead works. Sanctification gets us to the place where we recognize that the Holy Spirit must be a friend, an intimate friend. The Bible says he's a paraclete, one who is close to you, next to you, never to leave you. But if we keep going against him, he will leave. He's a gentleman. When he keeps telling you to do the right thing and you keep doing the wrong thing, you keep wanting to get praise from men, you keep wanting to feel that you are okay, then you are putting yourself in a situation where the Holy Spirit, who is supposed to be your best friend, is going to walk you in. And once he leaves, the entire Godhead leaves. He doesn't leave and one person stays. No, they all leave. In fact, he's usually the last person to go. He stays there to keep nudging you to come back to Christ. When he leaves, you know that they've given up on you. May the Holy Spirit never leave us in Jesus' name. And I say amen to that. We must know that we have a practical example, the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, finally, we must be ready to submit to God and be obedient in all things. In Esther chapter 2, the Bible spoke about how some virgins were brought to the king. They were going to be presented to the king. But first, Esther 2, 12 to 15, I don't have time to read it. The Bible tells us these were virgins. Yet they had to go through a 12-month purification. The king himself had to wait for 12 months, six months of some cleansing, and another six months of perfuming to be presented to a king. And even after all of that, they now choose what they want to take to the king. The example of Esther is that when was time, Esther said, whatever you give to me, I will take. That is how we are. When we are ready, the Holy Spirit will say, okay, it's time to go and serve the Lord. What do you want? You just tell him whatever you want, sir. Whatever you give to me, I'm okay. If you say stay in the village, I will stay in the village. If you say go to the nations, I will go to the Wherever you put me, I'm okay. In Daniel chapter 1, verse 5 and verse 8. In fact, the whole of chapter 1. We know of how Daniel and his friends were chosen to serve, to learn about the Chaldeans, and to serve a king, Nebuchadnezzar, an earthly king. Three years, three years for their training. Even before the three years was over, Daniel already was in service. If you read chapter 2, they were still in training when Nebuchadnezzar was furious with his sorcerers and he sent his vent onto the students. And Daniel said, why is the thing so hasty? They said, oh, the king's message is urgent. They must behead them. And Daniel said, can you allow me audience with the king? I said, king, please give us 24 hours. We'll give you an answer. The man had a dream, forgot the dream and was asking for inter interpretation. He wanted them to tell him the dream and to give interpretation. Daniel said, interpretation belongs to the Lord. Don't worry. Let us go. 
and they gave him time while he was still studying to serve the king. And we are talking of the king of the whole earth. And people want to get born again today and serve the king tomorrow. How do you do that? You must go through a training, a serious training, not the one that we are seeing. That's why we have a lot of jokers as pastors. That's the truth. Even the big names, some of the big names that we know, they are like jokers because they have not gone through the grind. It is important that we go through the teachings of the Holy Spirit, the purging, the preparation, the perfection of the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us that we need to be perfected unto good works. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, the Bible says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Through the word of God, the Holy Spirit does the work of perfection, completion, equipping us for every good work. In James chapter 1, the Bible says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect or complete work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. This is what the Holy Spirit comes to do, the work is doing, so that we will be complete, lacking nothing. If we are not complete, we will not be able to serve God acceptably. We will not be able to do good works. We'll keep doing dead works. And here we're talking about the practicality of repenting or repentance from dead works. You must know who you have come to serve. He's the king of kings and the lord of lords. You must understand that you cannot serve him with the old nature. You must put on a new nature. You need to be able to hear him speak to you and be ready to do whatever he's asking you to do. You need to be anointed with power from on high and have the spirit of God remain. It's not enough to just have power and the spirit of God leave. The Bible says the gift and calling of God are without repentance. So if those people leave, the gift will be there. But because he is not with you, that gift will be abused and misused. So a lot of people have giftings, but the Spirit of God is not with them. And so they are abusing it and misbehaving with it. And God doesn't take it away. He didn't take away what he gave to Satan. The instruments that were built into Satan, he didn't take them away. But Satan is using those things to do evil in the world today. So don't allow yourself to get to the place where you are abusing the gift of the Spirit of God. What is important more than the gift is the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Remember, the Spirit of God must be your friend. He's not your enemy. He's a paraclete, one who is there at all times. You have the Lord Jesus Christ as your example. You have him there. Look at him. Listen for him. What is he asking you to do? And finally, we must be ready to be obedient at all times. Even the Lord Jesus Christ learned obedience. All of this made possible because of the second work of grace. The work of sanctification by the Spirit of God. Where he's removing the hard heart of rebellion and bringing a soft heart of obedience. When we get to that place, my brother, my sister, we will serve the Lord willingly. We'll serve the Lord with joy. It may not look interesting from the standpoint of a man. But there is that inner joy that you will have, even in suffering, knowing that you're serving Christ. You will recall that in the book of Acts of the Apostles, there was a time when the disciples were whipped. And I thought they would grumble and say, what is all this rubbish about? They went back rejoicing that, wow, we were counted worthy to be flogged because of the Lord. You would also recall, I think it's in Acts chapter 16 or so, when Paul and Silas went preaching. They cast out a demon from a girl. 
and they were wrongly accused and thrown in a prison. While in prison, they began to praise God. They began to rejoice, not because they wanted to be released. No, it was their nature to glorify God at that time. That's all they were doing. Today, we sing praise because we want something to happen, not because we love God. So those praises are dead works. And God wants us to do good works because we love him. And until next week, God bless you.